Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. What a beautiful day for the Beverly Hills trailer to drop. What a treat. (laughs) Also, I feel like nine out of 10 times, what happens is we finish recording the podcast, we publish it, and then moments after the episode is uploaded, something major drops, either a trailer or a piece of Bravo news, and we have to wait an entire week to discuss it. So for this to happen before we record really feels like a gift. Oh, it is so damn satisfying that I have my top line excitement And I get to just spill it right now and not wait a week because it's also really hard for you and I to contain it and not give our thoughts to each other. And then it's old news by the time we speak on the podcast. So I'm so happy to be here and I cannot wait to get into every little detail of the trailer. Yes. One little caveat to this entire episode is that (laughs) obviously, obviously this is coming out on a Friday instead of our normal Wednesday schedule. And that's because earlier in the week, Isabel was sick. She did not have a voice. And then yesterday I kind of lost mine, but we've been doing double duty on the lozenges and medicine. And I think we're in a much better spot. So I'm sorry if this is hard to listen to. I know we're slightly nasal, but we have breathe right strips and humidifiers and we're really trying to make it work. So we appreciate your patience. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying really hard. The humming in the background is my humidifier and I'm loaded up on Tylenol. So let's fucking do this. Yeah, we got this. We got this. We got this. Okay. In terms of what I want to do first, I would love nothing more than to do like a deep analysis, almost moment by moment of the trailer. Is that something you're interested in? Yeah, I'd love to do that. I also think a unique part of a trailer, which I love, but also makes it kind of hard to break down, is they pull these little soundbite clippets from moments in all of the episodes and put them together without visuals. And I love that that kind of gives us the breadcrumbs to the whole season and seeing where they fit in because they really could be about anything, but they make me so curious. So curious. I mean, the first thing that kind of drew my attention was when Crystal says to Lisa, was it really that bad? And Lisa nods yes. Obviously, we don't know for sure. But to me, that was absolutely about the Kathy Hilton and Aspen situation. Yeah, I feel like it had to have been, especially because from what we've been reading and seeing, it feels like Lisa is the one with the information. So I guess that would make sense. But also, there could be 50 different plots that We have no idea what's going on. Also, Diana, the new housewife, was really making a name for herself in this trailer, even when she says to Sutton, you need a new villain. Here I am. I love when a new housewife is involved in the drama, because I think a lot of times they spend time watching and observing from the side and just sticking by whoever brings them into the group. So to see there be some real moments and tension is very exciting for me, especially in a group like Beverly Hills, where I feel like their relationships are 
very established. And after last season, they went through so much. I love a, just a group dynamic shakeup really makes me so happy. I know. And the other thing is like, wealth does not equal a good housewife by any means. There have been very wealthy women that have just proved to be unsuccessful housewives. However, one of the reasons we watch this show is because of kind of the escapism factor. And this woman is wealthy, wealthy. And I can't lie. That's just a fun element to be included. Yeah, it doesn't make them a good housewife, but it gives us something to look at. And I just love the aspirational part of housewives. And even if you're a boring or annoying housewife, if you live in an amazing home and you have the cars and the jewelry, you can stay in my book, truly. Right. It's just a fun thing to watch. I mean, who doesn't who yeah. doesn't feel that way? Okay, so this Garcelle-Erica situation, which I know we don't really know the context of, but there's something about watching the two of them go at it that I find to be kind of unique just because like Garcelle isn't intimidated by Erica's bullshit, you know? And I think that Erica often relies on the fact that she can be intimidating to some of the women. And I truly don't believe that Garcelle is intimidated by her and she sees right through that. So I know we don't know the background of their fight, but watching them kind of go at it, it, it almost feels like a fairer fight. I love this because I feel like a lot of criticism is always everyone's so afraid of Erica. So Garcelle being the hero that we need just to push back on her. Not that I'm I don't know what the fight's about. We don't know who's right or wrong. But to give that even battle, like you said, is what makes the show interesting. Because if somebody just can do whatever they want and nobody holds them accountable, it's like it's a dictatorship. Yes. And in my opinion, hands down, the most riveting moment of the trailer, the sit down between Kyle, Rinna, and Kathy when Rinna says to Kathy, you said some things about this beautiful sister of yours. I'm sorry, Kathy, you're not going to get away with it. And Kyle says, I feel like you hate me or something. How could you say those things? Oh, the history that's there, the weight that that carries, the Hilton sisters. I mean, we have seen their family go on a fucking journey and that's only one piece of the puzzle. And I do feel like, say whatever you want about Rinna, one thing that she really, really stands firmly is her protection over Kyle and knowing so firsthand from watching Kyle deal with Kim for a lot of years, just how good of a sister Kyle is. And I really do believe that. And that Kyle, at the end of the day, all she wants is for her sisters to be together and everybody to get along. And sometimes her actions business relationships families like things get in the way of that but it is her motive and to be a third party to have a conversation with the sisters we also really haven't seen aside from a couple scenes last season we haven't seen them have a conversation about the bad times in their relationship because they were in such a good place we never were privy to like the sit down of what happened in the dark times with kathy and kyle Okay. The best way that I can describe the way I felt about watching this is that even if you knew nothing about this show, you've never watched Housewives before, you could watch the scene and just based on their emotions, you could tell that it was a pretty intense one. I almost felt like saying to anybody who happened to see this on their feed without any context, like, you don't even know. Like, you don't understand the weight this holds. You were you there. <laughs> Yeah, you weren't fucking there. In order to get the magnitude of this, you need to understand the history between Kyle and Kathy. And like you said, just the understanding of the Richard sisters. It, it, it really took me back. I mean, this is good television. And I saw a tweet that was like, I want someone to look at me the way that Rena looks at drama because there's that one clip. And it's so <laughs> true. I mean, say what you want about Rena. Her facial expression in that scene was was really something. I think she feels validated. I don't know about what or how, but it just gave me that vibe. But just going back to Kathy for a second, because I do think this season will be a very stark contrast to the way that everyone felt about her last season, which was she was just happy-go-lucky, a little like ditzy, very funny, brought like life and was so silly. That was how she was viewed last season. Then we had a very interesting almost in-between season where we watched her on Paris in Love, which I highly recommend all of you watch before this season of Beverly Hills, where we saw the other side of Kathy. Not that she's a bad person, but just her more rigid, strict, very controlling type A type of personality that we never got a glimpse of on Housewives. And I remember you and I saying to each other, I now get 
how it's possible that Kyle and Kathy have had issues over the years and why things went down when Kyle put out American Woman and Kathy and Kyle didn't speak for years, even though Kathy only saw the trailer for the show. Like a lot of things about her personality, we got a more 360 view on who she is as a person. So now I feel like this season, it will be more of the real Kathy, not this like fantasy version where she's just like funny and making a few comments here and there and bringing her fan on the trip. So I want everyone to prepare for that because I personally am preparing for that to have a completely different Kathy Hilton experience. Yeah. And which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we don't know what it's going to come with, but I do think that the initial shock factor of her season one presence, it, I mean, no matter who the person is, it just doesn't exist in the second season. You, you know, that bliss is is kind of gone. So yeah. no, I it's, it's a good caveat to make and I am prepared for it. Also, the other thing I wanted to mention, I should give a trigger warning here for disordered eating. When Crystal is talking to, in that scene to Kyle about how she just wants to eat a meal without having these thoughts go through her head. Obviously, I couldn't help but draw the comparisons to what we're seeing with Jackie on House of the New Jersey right now. And I mean, we haven't, of course, seen this scene in its entirety, but like if people feel comfortable putting these vulnerable moments on camera, I just can't express enough how here for it I am. Because I really think the more people that we see open up about their struggles, the more it can just help people, specifically young people watching it. And I just have to, again, commend her and anyone for doing that. I also think watching both of these women on journeys back to back, Jackie and then Crystal, will give people a lot of like an informed education on how different people go through this and what it looks like for different people and just the support that their friends and family can give them around. It's just, it's incredible. Oh, absolutely. Also, wait, we didn't even mention this yet. The home surveillance footage from Dorit's robbery. I knew it was coming, but to see her herself saying what she said to the robbers gave me the goosebumps and then PK reacting to it. I mean, like we said, when this really went down, they were filming the whole time that this was going down. So it's not like we see them months later and it's like, oh, Dorit over the summer went through this and now we're getting together for the first time. This like could very well be the next morning. Yes. And the other thing that I was really hyper aware of with this particular scene is that even if the show didn't exist and they weren't filming, I genuinely believe that in the days after Dorit's robbery, if she was having friends come over, those friends would definitely consist of Kyle, probably Rinna. I mean, these are her very, very good friends. And so it's, it's such a weird comparison to make since this is such a serious issue. But like, if this were to happen on OC, for example, it would feel significantly more forced to one of the other women to come over the next day with the exception of maybe Gina and Emily. So it's these are the moments when like their actual real offline friendships being so authentic, I think, rise to the surface. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I love that. And I am happy that we get to see what happens because we haven't heard that much from Dorit in the time since then. Also, on a far lighter note, there was the uh, conversation about Erica's sex life, which was just fun at the very least. Oh, my God. That really brought me back to all those Scooter Braun rumors last year. Remember that? Yeah, that that almost feels like another life. I mean, I know, obviously, historically, Erica's type has been older, wealthy men. And it's not that I think that isn't the case anymore. But I absolutely could see her having a fling with like a 30-year-old muscular guy that lives on Venice Beach. Couldn't you? Yeah, for sure. I can't wait to hear about it, though, because I feel like last season we were very much still in the ending with Tom, her mourning the loss of that life and that relationship and it feeling way, way, way too soon for her to be dating or talking about it. So now to see Erica in her single era, which we've never seen before, what should be great TV, if nothing else. Well, remember we saw moments of this peeking out when I forget whose house they were at, maybe Crystal's, and she was talking about how Kyle gave her that THC oil. Yes. Right. So now it's like, okay, that was the beginning and now we're getting to see potentially that coming to fruition. I don't know. You know, I love when they talk about their sex lives in like this playful way. I think it's so fun. She took the THC oil out on the town now. Yeah. As one does, <laughs> by the way. As one does. <laughs> okay. Shall we get into Summer House? Yes, let's get into Summer House. I can't wow, we're getting Beverly Hills in like a month. It's it's unbelievable. By the way, I should just say 
as these seasons change and come, whatever, we're going to have to figure out the day that the episode is going to come out because also once Kardashians comes back into season, we'll figure it out. And obviously, please DM us. Let us know your thoughts on episode release day. But I guess it'll just be an ever-changing process as the different shows come out and air on different days. Yeah. All of our TV schedules will align and we'll be in this together. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of the Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Oh boy, this this was some shit. Oh, you get back and you feel the energy in that room like the air had left it. It was really intense. I mean, last week we end just as Sierra threw the glass and that was pretty much it. And so now we really got to see how that unfolded and, you know, the aftermath, all of it. But God, honestly, just like giant top level thoughts. It's not even about the way that Danielle handled this in the moment. That's not even the reason for my praising her. It's about the way she handled the conversations after the fact that I genuinely think are so commendable, not only for a reality television presence, just for anybody. Like not only did she talk to Sierra with such a calmness about her and I felt like she was really trying to understand where Sierra was coming from while still obviously standing up for herself. But even when she has the conversation with Lindsay, who is her best friend who she was defending, she still in a lot of ways holds Lindsay accountable while like being there for her emotionally. It's not an easy role to be in. And I just think she does it beautifully and, and in a very specific way. I rarely find myself agreeing with everything that somebody does or handles a situation, but that's how I felt about Danielle. And something about that is really satisfying because I feel like we always say, I can't picture myself in these situations and it would be such a weird thing. But to see someone actually handle things in a way you agree with is like, okay, I kind of get it. You know, she has a good head on her shoulders, at least from my perspective, that's how I feel. But the overall vibe after this went down, everyone is just like, holy shit. And it's almost like that immediate regret. Everybody felt that Danielle and Sierra and everyone around them was just like, I wish that didn't happen. Yeah. I think everyone had the collective understanding of like, okay, this is not us. Like, This is just not stuff yeah. that we do. And every single one of them, Sierra, Danielle, everyone else involved, and they were quickly wanted to kind of reverse that or undo the damage that was done. But you know, the thing is, and Sierra even said this, I think in her confessional, not that she should have thrown the glass ever. Like that was just objectively the wrong thing to do and the wrong way to handle it. And she said that. But I think she even surprised herself that the glass was thrown at Danielle instead of Lindsay. Like going into the night, she never would have thought that she was going to have this issue with Danielle. She would have thought she'd have it directly with Lindsay. But like I was saying last week, it was Danielle that was actually responding to Sierra in the way she probably anticipated Lindsay to respond to. And it, like... <laughs> Sierra throwing the glass, obviously it was her fault of not placing the blame elsewhere. However, it was almost a direct response to 
Lindsay's apathy more than it was a response to Danielle getting upset. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even later on when they're sitting in bed, Maya's like, wait, you threw the glass at Danielle? Like she didn't even really realize what happened because it all happened so fast. And also who would expect that to happen? Like it just kind of went down the way it went down. And I think like Luke and Andrea walking in on the situation were like, how the hell did it go from this to this? And Lindsay is just sitting there almost so aloof and nonchalant about the situation. And Danielle was getting heated up in the way that Sierra was expecting Lindsay to, that when she heard these words that she sort of probably had played out in her mind already, she just took her anger out that she had at Lindsay on Danielle. I also wanted to point out that I felt the way Amanda handled it as it applied to Carl was something to note because she yeah. was very aware. Yeah, she was very aware in that moment of his sobriety and not that she was making the situation about him, but you know, a very like high pressure moment that is alcohol induced can definitely be triggering for somebody who's, you know, actively trying to stay sober. And so again, I feel like I say this every episode, they're just small little moments that really put Amanda's empathy on display. And it is, to me, noticeable. And also the fact that he's now covered in red wine. Like that can't be easy. I don't know. I'm glad that she was tending to him because I feel like there was enough people going in every other direction that somebody had to stay there and clean up not just the room, but also check on everybody else and be like, whoa, we all just experienced that together. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so different, obviously, but it's kind of how I felt about Luke going outside with Andrea. Like in that moment, for whatever reason, he was feeling overwhelmed and he needed someone to talk to. He, he didn't expect for that to come over him. And I have to say, I know he had a kind of a minimal role this season, but Luke really proved himself as just like, a generally good guy, you know? He, no, he, I think that Luke, he, Stan, we Stan Luke. Right, like he, in most situations, was on the right side of history. He really got it. He's harmless. Like he got put in a bunch of bad situations, but between Winter House and this season of Summer House, I've realized he's just a very laid back, chill guy who has found himself in some pickles. I'm not saying he's always right, but he is a really good friend. And look, he doesn't bring that much to the table in terms of the show, but I'm also not mad that he's there. And I think he is a nice binding, bonding factor between all the guys and some of the girls just because he's been around and he knows them. Right. But think about it just in terms of this scene. We needed him there because realistically, if if Luke didn't exist, Amanda probably would have been the person to go outside with Andrea. She then would have missed the wine throw and she wouldn't have then been there for Carl. It's like you need another person that doesn't necessarily cause so much drama, but has the emotional intelligence to handle these situations. And I just felt that, I don't know, it was an important role, minimal, but important. Very. Also, so I know in terms of chronological order, the first thing that happens is Lindsay and Danielle have that brief conversation outside directly after it happens. And then the next day before they go to the beach, Sierra pulls Danielle aside and they kind of have that moment where Sierra apologizes. And I think that it was honestly handled as well as it physically could be. And I, I what I appreciated about this was that Danielle made it very clear, like, your issue with Lindsay is not your issue with me, and she's going to do her own thing, but I basically don't deserve that. And I felt like Sierra was also very kind of receptive to that. But what was your take on that? I agree. I think that they handled this really well, and both didn't just go either the really negative route or just like, oh, yeah, everything's totally fine. Like, it felt very realistic is the best way I can describe it. And I think they were both really upfront with their emotions, but also... Sierra wasn't afraid to say like, I really fucked up and I really like you as a person. And the elephant in the room is like, I can't lump you and Lindsay together, even though at times it does feel like you're a package deal. Right. And what Danielle said to her, I thought was a really brave thing to say, honestly, which is, I'm trying to create a friendship with you. How am I supposed to feel safe? And like emotional safety is the most important yeah. thing in any sort of a relationship. Yeah. But okay. So we go from initial Danielle Lindsay, then we go to this. And then at the beach, this to me was one of my favorite conversations of the entire episode when Danielle pulls Lindsay aside and she's kind of filling her in on her conversation with Sierra. And then Lindsay says to her, listen, I know she's upset, but I didn't realize that Austin was going to come here and choose me, which in general, like even just that choice of words goes to show you how flawed the entire thinking is that like it's his choice and he can kind of take his pick, but that's a separate issue for a separate time. But then Danielle says back to her, but did you love that? 
Like, was there any part of you basically that got off on that, which is not a question that Lindsay had been asked. And even though like no part of me thinks that Lindsay is a bad person, I really don't. I think she's selfish at times, but I don't think she's a bad person. But that was an important question to ask, especially coming from her best friend who she knows loves her so much, because if she really was super honest with herself, yeah, there was a part of it that probably felt good, which is it sucks, but it's the truth. It's human nature almost at a certain point. Like here's a guy that is clearly a hot commodity that somehow. she has had <laughs> somehow somehow at Kroll the Warrior King, still a hot commodity. <laughs> he comes in the house. You really may or may not know what to expect. You've had a crush on him. You have said you're in love with him. And you see that he has been hooking up with someone who you're not their number one fan. Like, let's just say it, Lindsay is not obsessed with Sierra. So then for him to come in and be all over Lindsay, wanting to sleep in her room, even just the fact that he's like the guest of the house and it's Lindsay's birthday for him to want to like do whatever she says and be by her side, that is her fucking kryptonite. So of course she would be lying if she said it didn't feel a fucking amazing and she didn't in the moment care who she was hurting in the process. I don't necessarily think she cared that much after either, but once she wasn't caught up in this whirlwind, I think she was able to take a step back and be like, yeah, that's a shitty feeling. And you know what? I've been in Sierra's shoes before and I got really caught up and I would never really want to make someone who I live with, who I am friendly with feel that way. Right. And I think the only reason that this conversation was able to be successful is because it came from Danielle, who Lindsay feels completely safe with, who she knows is never trying to get her. Any conversation they have is totally honest and just with her best interest at heart. So it, like, it, it was a moment of clarity I think she was only able to have because she was speaking to Danielle about it. And I'm so glad that that conversation happened before she then talked to Sierra because I feel like both of them were honestly pretty pretty cool about it considering what happened the night before and i also think they both did clearly understand sierra's side obviously they didn't realize it was escalating to the point that it did but they both are able to sit there and say yeah a guy who you have been seeing and have a lot of feelings for and had a thing with coming in the house completely ignoring you and hooking up with someone else basically in front of your face fucking sucks. But what really sucks for everybody involved is that Austin gets to just be sitting down in Charleston and not deal with any of it. Because yes, Lindsay was smug and didn't handle things great and does have loyalty to Sierra just because they are friendly and live in the same house, whatever. But at the end of the day, this all really boils down to Kroll the Warrior King. Girl, the warrior king. Yeah, I mean, I think for Lindsay to say, and I quote, Austin have always had some sort of this thing, always. It's been this nature of our friendship. It's made his girlfriend insecure. It's made my boyfriend insecure. I think it'll always be a thing. I do like Austin and I'm still figuring that out. It sucks that you feel a little bit rejected and I'm sorry for my portion of that because that fucking sucks. That one line when she says, you know, I do like Austin and I'm still figuring that out. I don't know if anyone else felt this way or if Sierra felt this way or even if Lindsay felt this way. To me, it, it felt like, validating. Like, I think it was good that she finally said that out loud because I think she had been playing the card of, uh, oh, I don't really give a shit almost to a point where it was unhealthy for her as well. Like she had to acknowledge that she did care a little. Right. Like I think Sierra needed to hear that Lindsay has a heart and can woman to woman relate to the feeling of a guy coming in and rejecting you and feeling like you were treated like shit. But I also think that was an important conversation because Sierra could then realize the rejection portion has nothing to do with Lindsay. Like whether Lindsay was there or not, you were rejected by Austin and you have taken some of that anger and frustration out on Lindsay. Yeah, for sure. And it's just, I mean, he just sucks. Like even when they were doing the flashbacks and it, it was the scene of him sitting there with Lindsay at that bar and he's like, babe, do you think anyone could tell me? I'm like, ew, you were just, you're so not it. This is coming from two girls who really flip-flopped from not being into him, then being so into him in Winter House. Now we're back on the other side. I'm staying on this side, though. I happen to think that he is a handsome guy, and I'm sure part of that is, you know how I get with men over six feet. Like, I get it. But no, it's it, after, you can't come back from this. This behavior was so disrespectful to all parties involved that, like, <laughs> no, no. I, uh, I, I also feel like... No patience. We are such big Craig fans at this point because I feel like he has evolved a fucking lot and we're watching it happen right now before our very eyes. And Austin and Craig are still best friends, but Craig's ability to analyze the situation and call out Austin on his shit 
and behavior that I'm sure Craig really was like that in the past, but to look at it now and be like, dude, that is so fucked up. And I understand why these girls are feeling the way that they feel and say that about his best friend. Like that is the kind of energy we need. Okay. So this is really interesting. The scene between Lindsay and Craig when they're in the kitchen after all hell breaks loose and Craig is saying to her, you know, Lindsay, you also hooked up with your roommate's boy. How do you think that made Sierra feel when you made out? And Lindsay says, he also told her he didn't want to be with her. And Craig says, well, that's what he told you, but he never told her he's a liar. And if you're watching that scene, just separate from anything, what he's saying makes sense. And I think at first glance, you think, okay, this is a, a pretty objective take from somebody who is best friends with Austin, but is viewing the situation relatively objectively. However, we then flash back to episode three, and that's when Craig and Paige kind of got into it a little bit with Lindsay, because Lindsay was the one that went to Paige and told her that there's a rumor that he's hooking up with Chris and Cavallari. And when they get into it, Craig says to Paige, quote, to believe Lindsay, who's the biggest loser in the world, to her and Austin have been dating for four years while dating other people, you know better than this. They are. You know that. And remember, Sierra got mad at him in that moment to kind of like downplay whatever they had going on. I had to remind myself of that scene to kind of like contextualize what was going on here, because it's not that I think that he was wrong in what he said to Lindsay, but when you remember that scene, it shows almost that his understanding of it was a little bit more aligned with Lindsay's understanding of it. Right. Like he knew what the fuck was going on behind closed doors. He knew that they were probably sexting, texting, hooking up behind the scenes and that the relationship that Lindsay describes as like, quote, different and making other people jealous is a reality. And he knew about it. And that makes me wonder if Paige had any idea about it. I don't know. I don't know how she would hide that from Sierra and like how that could be a situation because she is definitely the kind of girl who would have warned her about it but it is definitely a contrast and also the fact that he used that against Lindsay when he was really pissed off at her and then now is coming around to he's not really comforting her I think he's just showing her like look Austin played fucking all of you and he's my best friend but also he really messed up and I don't want to see this kind of animosity going on between you guys over Austin and his stupid decisions. Yeah. And also, I don't know how much this factors in. Honestly, as I'm saying it, I don't even know if this is a point worth saying, but just <laughs> thought popped into my mind. So I may as well say it. What the scene I was just referencing when he got into the fight with like Paige and kind of Sarah about the Lindsay thing was episode three. And we're now on episode 11. And I do think it is maybe worth noting how their relationship has progressed since then in terms of him and Paige. So not that his perspectives has shifted necessarily, but the way he was going to present the information was just naturally going to be a little bit different. I don't know if that's a fair point one way or another, but I think it's a, a worthwhile observation at least. And also his sort of closeness to Sierra, because Paige and Sierra are best friends. They're living together. They're talking all day, every day, like probably more than ever, usually because they're literally sleeping in the same bed. So therefore that puts Craig in a more like team Sierra kind of mode because he obviously wants to protect Paige and her best friend. And if they're not getting along with Lindsay. Like there's a lot of logistics that go into that. Right. Of course. Also, I, I do want to discuss this because I think that it is something really worth talking about. If you look online right now, and I think that this is the, the opinion of a lot of our listeners, obviously not everyone, everyone has different opinions. And at least in our DMs, it's totally split. But I have seen online a lot people being really displeased with Paige this episode as well. And I guess Lindsay was on an Us Weekly podcast where she mentioned something like, you know, I thought I walked away from the summer thinking that Paige and I had a really good summer together and, you know, watching the show, I'm really disappointed in the way that she spoke about me or whatever, just highlighting, I guess, some tension that they had and really feeling Lindsay and I guess the audience or some of the audience feeling as though Paige kind of riled up Sierra. And I really like, I'm trying to look at that because yes, absolutely. Did she rile Sierra up? Totally. But to me, she didn't rile her up more than any other friend would. I just think the difference is that Danielle, like, in the moment stood up for Lindsay. And I guess in the moment, Paige did the back seat riling, but didn't stand up for her in the moment. But I felt, I felt, again, this is just my opinion. I felt like it was because Sierra was the one that was almost like fighting the battle, whereas Lindsay wasn't really doing the fighting. So Danielle did it for her. But again, people did not feel that way. And I, we got a message of someone being like, I feel like you guys wouldn't say anything negative about Paige because you're friends with her. Like, We've, she's been on the podcast once. I have 
I, I don't know her personally. She seems like a really great girl. But I, if I felt a certain way, of course I would say it. I, these are all, at the very least, no matter the personal relationships you have with these people, you, you view them to analyze them. I mean, they're on a show for a reason. I'm not saying anyone was wrong. I'm saying I personally didn't feel that. I guess it's because I I do see that. Like I get watching that back how you're like, okay, Paige is really like gearing her up for war here and wanting to make this a big thing. But Paige doesn't really have skin in this game. It felt more like to me her being a supportive friend and saying like, you got this. Like, you know, put on your big girl panties, go out there, say what you need to say, get it off your chest. Sierra was going to say something whether Paige was there or not. I guess that's just why I like being a part of like the general Bravo community because again, when I watched it, it wasn't my take at all. And then I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm like really analyzing. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I understand where people are coming from. I understand why people said that. You know, it just makes you watch the show differently. Um, yeah. I guess when you have like an openness to everyone's opinions, because like I said, I told, yeah, if I'm Lindsay, I get it for sure. I also get it if I'm Paige. Like I, I this is a cast that I would say is, on the whole, far more rational as a group than any other, you know, definitely any other Housewives franchise. So you you can see each person's perspective a little bit more honestly. Right. Like there's so much less clear cut right and wrong that it makes it more fun to discuss. But it also is like a realistic situation that I feel like anybody could find themselves in. I also want to talk about the conversation at Carl's apartment with him and his mom. This was you know, pretty emotional because here you have a mother who is actively trying to support his son in his journey of sobriety and this new phase of his life while actively mourning the loss of her other son and, you know, wanting to support his brother and that it's, it's a lot. And I think when they were talking about Mackenzie, I know, of course, this entire thing is in the general context of potentially Carl shouldn't be in a relationship within his first year of sobriety. Of course, that is something that a lot of people who have struggled with addiction will say, and that's you know very much um, a belief in the community. But even that aside, when he's explaining the way that things are progressing with Mackenzie and his mom says to him, listen, if it's not progressing, there's a reason for that. To me, that was an example of something only your mother or only a parent could say. Because if any one of his friends said that, I don't think it would have gone down as smoothly. I think he would have either been a little bit more defensive or maybe they wouldn't have felt empowered to say it because they wouldn't want to feel like they're crushing something that he's excited about. Whereas his mom has known him since the day he was born. She's able to give that perspective just like, listen, I have no skin in the game. I'm just telling you. I'm your mother and I'm watching what's going on. There's a reason you're not diving into this more deeply. And I think he needed to hear that from her. Yes. And then the added stepping stone of like, this is all directing his sales to Lindsay because we know where he ends up, you know? So I was so happy she said that because I do agree she's right. And I think his friends probably were of the mindset of like, Carl has had a long, rough year, whatever makes him happy. You know, we want him to be in a relationship. We want to see him smile. This girl seemed to have made him happy, even if it was just for a minute. And you're, I don't, you're right. I don't think they would have pushed like that. So then for her to push and almost confirm a decision you could tell he already had made, I think was a good step in his journey where he is right now as we're seeing him. It's so rare that we are getting all of this stuff and then know that the end factor is Lindsay. Like if I can put it just for a second, imagine you're Lindsay, like POV, you are dating this guy and you get to watch the intimate conversation between him and his mother when she basically tells him that in her belief, I mean, she didn't say this directly, obviously, that he should break up with the girl he's seeing. Like, I'm sorry. And that's, move upstairs. When is he going to move upstairs to Lindsay's apartment? That is like, that's porn. Like if you are dating yeah. someone to watch that conversation, I mean, that is the shit about reality TV. Like, yeah, it's a lot of it is fake and contrived, whatever. That is real. Like they are actually dating. There is a very legitimate chance that Lindsay Hubbard and, and Carl Radke end up together. And you're Lindsay. You're going to potentially have a child with this man and you get to watch the conversation he had with his mother. That you can't pay for that, Isabel. No. POV, you get to edit Carl and Lindsay and Paige and Craig's wedding videos and use these clips of like Craig saying to Amanda on the beach, like, look, I wouldn't be in this if I didn't see us at the altar together one day. Like, what? Are you kidding me? How lucky are we? Like, Paige is so lucky that she already gets to hear her boyfriend say that. Lindsay's so lucky that she gets to hear her potentially future mother-in-law say that to Carl. But then f for everybody else to get to hear it too? I mean, come on. 
Right. I mean, the thing that I always think about is like anytime you are into a guy, a girl, whoever the person is, and you have some sort of a mutual connection, all you want to do is try to get information from them of like, well, did they say anything? You know, like that's that's obviously what you want. It's the best insight <laughs> in the world. And then to get it played out in this way, it's it's crazy. I wow. That's obviously there's no part of me that would ever, ever, ever want to be on reality television. The thought actually like, gives me the chills in a bad way. But that is slightly enticing. It really is. And then it also helps me understand how Carl and Lindsay got to this place because I think his level of comfort with her and just that feeling of like safeness and home and friendship is something that is really rare and something that he desperately needed and craved. And it feels like, of course, they ended up together. Like that was what he was searching for out on the town with all these random girls and couldn't find. Yeah. Wow. 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 Wild. By the way, like I feel like we haven't even spoken about this. If Carl and Lindsay stay together, next summer we are going to have a summer house cast oh. that yeah. Like, yeah, they are it's by the way, who gets the primary bedroom in that in that scenario? Kyle and Amanda oh or Lindsay and Carl? Like these are legitimate things to think about. And let me throw another one into the mix. As of right now, Maya and Oliver are dating. Yeah, and then also Craig and Paige. And also Amanda and Kyle are married. So like, what? how does that work? Wow. It, yeah, it's it's really something. I know. This it is really a good is show. Something. It's a really, really good show. <laughs> good show. I guess I'll keep watching. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything else you want to mention from this? I think that's it. Okay. Let us go to OC. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be. Meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Free to Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you. Okay, so... We're in a rare circumstance that we actually have two episodes of OC because we're releasing the episode a little bit later this week. To be honest, they've kind of blended in my mind. I think we should maybe focus on the more recent one. I have a few top-level thoughts that I would like to say. Is that okay with you? I love a top-level thought. Okay. This was not Gina's best episode. I'm actually going to go as far as to say it was maybe one of her worst. I really – I was – not into what she was selling. That's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is I felt Shannon was being unfairly targeted. And I know at times she can be a little bit off her rocker, but this particular episode, in my opinion, was not one of them. And I felt that she was, I don't know, I, I didn't i didn't necessarily like the way that the group was ganging up on her, which I felt to be slightly unnecessary. The third is that I really understood Heather's frustration with Noella. And I'm not saying the confrontation went down beautifully, but 
I am just fundamentally out on Noella and I have a lot of compassion for what she's going through, but I think that trying to maintain a relationship with her would be slightly infuriating. And lastly, I want to say that I think Emily's observation about Jen as it applies to Heather was actually pretty spot on and those editors really had something up their sleeves because that was a hilarious montage. It really was. My responses to your top level points are, I am a Gina apologist. I love her so much. Maybe not her best episode, I will agree. I think the actual worst part was just the very ending with the whole meltdown about them not knowing her friend Tatiana and Noella saying she doesn't know who that is, even though she's been to her house, which like, yeah, is that annoying? 100%. Is it something to have a freak out about? Absolutely not. Like that is not, I don't know, it's just not their job to like remember everybody in your life. So that was definitely a low. I do think she was drunk, but it's fine. Noella, overall, I agree. I'm out on her. And you just feel that Heather is so beyond out on her that she doesn't even care. Like we always say, indifference is almost like the worst that you feeling you could have towards someone. And that is Heather at this point. She doesn't even care what Noella says, except when it comes to saying things about her and her family that could potentially be slanderous. And I understand her frustration with that. But otherwise, she also doesn't care about her. So it's a really weird scenario to be in. And lastly, with Shannon, I think Heather is beyond overreacting about like the calling for the podcast thing. Like that is just a very Heather move, I feel like, which is like people have other things going on. Her calling you to say hi versus ask about how your podcast was is just like not an ending of a friendship kind of thing. Like maybe you're annoyed or it was weird, but it just it doesn't call for this. You're right. I feel like they're being really hard on Shannon and picking her apart for something that wasn't that big of a deal. And when Shannon has a breakdown sort of about how much shit she's going on in her life, like I get it. It makes sense. Right. And to go off on that point, just specifically with Shannon as it applies to Noella, The group was really frustrated with Shannon, I guess, that she was either maintaining a relationship with Noella or maybe coming to her comfort. And to me, it's like, I fully understood why everyone was pissed at Noella completely. Like I would have been right there with them. I get it. But if you are in a group and every single person is having an issue with one person and at the moment you're not having an issue with that person and they are clearly in distress, I think it's like the natural thing to do to comfort them. Like I I actually found it to be uncharacteristically cruel of the rest of the women to be mad at Shannon for almost comforting her. It wasn't like she was going to bat for Noella. It wasn't like she was standing up there and telling every single one of them that they were wrong. She was just trying to give her a little bit of kindness, even if she was totally in the wrong. She was clearly not in a good headspace. And it's like, leave her, like, this is the thing. Shannon has done some really shitty things in the past. This one, it's not one of them. Sorry. I think there's just a big, like, misunderstanding where going to take care of someone and comfort them does not equal, like, taking their side. Like, it's not like, she, like you said, she's not going to bat for her. She's not agreeing with everything she says just by simply following her out of the room or making sure she's okay, comforting her, knowing that she just lost her father. She's going through a divorce. Like, she has shit going on and maybe just needs someone to, like, have a shoulder to cry on for five seconds. I, I just don't feel like that's, like, a reflection on Shannon in such a negative way. Yeah, Noella's done shitty things, but does she not deserve that just as a human being and as a cast member? Like, no, let it go. It's not worth nailing Shannon to the crossover. That's exactly how I felt. And again, this is coming from the perspective of somebody who is not a fan of Noella, but I do believe she deserves like the basic respect that you would give anyone. I, the whole thing, I mean, I have I have a lot of thoughts. I think that as a group or as a pair, Heather and Shannon are so much stronger when they are good. Like, I think that they actually have the potential to have a real relationship. I think the ones that don't have the potential to have the real relationship is Gina and Shannon. I know in the past they've gotten along. I know in the past they've had that friendship. But if I really look at this completely organically, I think you have your best bet at a sustainable friendship between one, Gina and Emily, two, Gina and Heather, three, Shannon and Emily and for Shannon and Heather. I just think out of the whole group, Shannon and Gina's like maybe not the best match. And I feel like they're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, even though I know there's history there. I know. And it's so funny when you say that because every other combination of that foursome works basically. Right. And then Shannon and Gina just don't happen. And that's okay. And they can hang out. Maybe they can hang out as a foursome. Maybe they won't see eye to eye on big issues, but they can drink and have fun together. And you know what? That's fine by me. This group feels, like you said much earlier in the episode, not so much like a super 
close-knit friend group. It's definitely a fractured group that feels a little bit forced. So to then actually be able to have glimpses of these moments of people that seem like legitimate friends, I want more of it. Like, stop being so mean to each other. Just have fun because there are potentials for really good friendships in those combinations that you said. So what? Maybe Gina and Shannon aren't best friends, but fine, move past it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do just want to go back to what I said about Gina in the beginning because I don't want to gloss over that. Everybody is entitled to a bad episode for sure, but you and I differ a lot in our opinions on Gina. You think more highly of her than I do. I'm not saying she's not fun, but I just like don't have that same affinity towards her. I'm not saying it couldn't change. Look at the way that I've changed on Emily. I really love her now. I I I just found her behavior to be a little bit disgusting in in the end of this, and uh, I don't know. It was upsetting because it didn't need to go there. Yeah, it didn't need to go there for sure, but I also kind of weirdly get it. Yeah, I just like Gina, but she was definitely being a pot stirrer in general this episode, but I also feel like we definitely need that. Yeah, yeah. Also, I saw something. I didn't I didn't listen to the episode, but I saw when I was scrolling through Instagram that Heather had posted a clip on her podcast saying like, I know a lot of the audience is saying that there wasn't enough fun or we're not having enough fun. And I guess she said they did a lot of fun activities and they were kind of cut, which it's not that I needed to see it, but I guess it does make me happy on some level that like there was fun to be had, even if we weren't privy to it. <laughs> yeah, I saw them posting photos like from archery and stuff. And of course, they don't keep in all the fun shit. Like it's more it's more enticing to see Noella saying, I saw with my own two eyes, Heather shoves someone and then say, well, I didn't see it with my to- own two eyes, but I heard it. And them say, oh, like the every moment of the dinner be documented versus Shannon running around in like her hiking outfit. Yeah, I know, by the way, as I'm thinking about our discussion, I guess we didn't even mention the like major source of the argument, which was that to me, it's such an irrelevant conversation because within the course of 10 minutes, she said something and then, you know, caught herself in a lie. So that point is is irrelevant to me. You can't say yeah. that you saw it and then you didn't say it and then expect for that truth to still stand. It would be a totally different thing if she maintained the truth that she saw it from the beginning, but she didn't. And, and the lie, I think, completely impacted her ethos. And I would feel that way no matter who said it. And then on top of it, to then start bringing Emily into it saying, well, you and I talked about it too. Like whether that's true or not, it just seemed like, okay, well, where was that point like 10 years ago when you started this? Let me tell you something in like the deepest part of my gut, I'm telling you that's false. And you want to know how I know? The lawyer in Emily jumped out. When Noella said that, Emily was like, don't you dare try to bring me into this for something that is factually incorrect. There's To me, that is like, there's no world in which that happened. I actually have a, an easier time, even though I don't believe either, I have an easier time believing that Heather did that, even though there's no part of me that believes that, than I do of thinking Emily would join Noella in that conversation. There's just no way. Yeah, there's no way. One thing I just find to be genuinely unfair, and even though I strongly dislike her, it's not a criticism that I'm willing to accept. I saw a lot of people online being like, here Noelle has spent episodes talking about how she has no relationship with her father, and now all of a sudden he's dead, and and you know she's faking this upset. That's bullshit. And unless you've been in the situation, you have no idea how that feels, because to actually know that the presence of somebody who you know gave life to you is on earth and then is no longer on earth, it can have a real psychological effect whether or not you had a relationship. So I don't, there's a lot of shit you can call her out for. That's not to me a fair point. Right. Totally. I, I get everyone thinks she's really over dramatic and whatever, but something like this, I think is goes way beyond like how you're going to appear on the show. Yeah. You, you don't get to make that call for someone else. It does. Quite frankly, it doesn't matter how we perceive her grieving process to go. Yeah, totally. Okay. Let's go to Jersey. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, 
and nada, yada, yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Okay, so realistically, relatively uneventful episode in Jersey. I would say the core of the drama actually came from the men, which we can get into in a second. But just want to pause that and go back to Dolores on Watch What Happens this week, where her and Andy are having the conversation about the reunion being one of the more intense ones they've ever had. And Melissa alluded to that in her caption as well. And I know it's kind of like a bachelor thing of, you know, the most dramatic season ever. They say that for a lot of reunions. I'm I'm telling you, like, based on everything we have heard internally, that's legit. I think that this reunion is going to fucking bring it because we heard that even before they started posting about it and even before Dolores said that on Watch What Happens. I think it's going to be old school Jersey vibes where we get full circle back into Teresa and Melissa and Joe. I think we're going to get into her moving and sort of what that means in the chapter of her life and back into the Joe Giudice days. And I also think Teresa's just defense of Louie and willing to go as far as humanly possible to defend him has brought her up to another level. Like in the last couple of years, in terms of Teresa, like relatively speaking, it's been pretty chill. And then I also think Jennifer, we've seen her get fucking nasty at a reunion. Like she, we know she will go as low as someone can go so for the issues to really be spotlight on her and brought out in such a way i mean i don't know this is going to be like a dark one but also a really entertaining good one yeah it's going to be a really good one i just feel it i think a lot of it like you said is going to come from Teresa. i don't know i'm sure jen's whole attitude could change but i think in the more recent episodes she's i don't know i guess internalized a bit more calmness and she's trying to stray away from like that side of herself that she's had at times. And I feel like Teresa's leaning into it more. So, you know, it should make for an interesting combination. I also think that the second half of this season will be more focused on like the Marge versus Teresa argument about the rumors about Louie, about Teresa throwing all the shit across the table at her. So, you know, usually the second half of the season, what happens more recently towards the reunion is a lot of times what they have the freshest feelings about. I have a logistical conversation that I would like to bring up based on what you just said. Sure. I love a logistical conversation. I was thinking about this when I saw the preview and I would love anyone's take or insight on this. Okay. So in the preview we saw where they're out to dinner and Teresa throws the drinks across the table at everyone. In a situation like this, where factually wine or other alcohol that is impossible to get out gets not only on their clothing, but also on their bags. Is that something production reimburses them for? Like I'm dead serious. If you show up with a $5,000 jumbo Chanel caviar, you know, white, for example, something that's a stain is very visible on and that gets ruined. Legitimate question. Do you get reimbursed by production? Because I would be fucking livid. Well, okay. This is a PSA. If you're going to dinner with Teresa and you've pissed her off you do not wear your white chanel that's just no. like common fucking sense at this point mm-hmm. i don't think you get reimbursed by production i think i don't know there's got to be some like insurance policy but i think it's like you are responsible for your own items or whatever happens to them on the on the set quote quote set but yeah i would just stick with dark colors and nothing suede when you're out to dinner with Teresa or when you think there's even the slightest possibility that you could have a drink thrown your way or that people could drink too much that shit is getting spilled and thrown everywhere anyway. I think it's hard. It must be really hard to be a housewife because you want to bring out your nicest things and look so good on camera. But 
you're also in the splash zone. But that's what I'm saying. It, the reason that I make that point, and it's not supposed to be humorous, I'm genuinely serious, is because part of the reason that you were dressing up for the occasion is because that's what production wants. Like, they couldn't all show up in sweatpants to some of these events. Production wants them to really, you know, fluff it up in terms of the extravagance. So maybe the only reason that they're bringing out some of their nicest items is for that purpose. Like, just POV for a second, okay? No, wait, you, I was going to POV. I was going to POV. You can't POV what? before I'm going to no, POV. You go first. You My, go first. My POV is POV, you're Margaret Josephs, and you have really been eyeing this brand new version of a Chanel bag. So you create a full fucking argument with Teresa. She spills wine all over your old version that you want to get rid of. You get the money from production and you hit Madison Avenue. Boom. You got the 2022 version in your closet. Oh, okay. So you're getting a little bit strategic. See, I like it's that. that a, was... It's the um, Jersey wine throwing scheme for a Chanel bag. And I'm absolutely obsessed with it. See, mine was far, far less forward thinking. Mine was just giving you another perspective outside of the summer. Like, let's say they're shooting in the fall and you just buy the gorgeous over-the-knee brown suede Stuart Weitzman boots, right? You walk mm-hmm, out of the Columbus mm-hmm. Circle, Stuart Weitzman, you're so happy. You say hi to the Kate Hudson Goldie Hawn ad that's right outside. You're walking down the street and you go into a dinner and that exactly happens. To me, that's like, I can I can feel it. I can smell the suede and I can feel the frustration. And and that is just a circumstance. Just to take it away from, you know, the bag for a second. I not, understand not everyone listening is a bag lover. Like, think about your favorite fucking shoes. I just want to allow everyone to get in touch with the emotion that you would feel in terms of the anger. Because I, for one, I'm relatively calm. I would say 90% of the time that would piss me the fuck off. I have another POV. <laughs> yeah, do it. POV, you're not filming. It's the couple of weeks or months that you're off. You go out to dinner. You get in a fight. Or someone spills something and you are not under the, quote, production Chanel budget to get reimbursed or to get it cleaned. And you are like, fuck, we are starting to film in three days and now my Chanel is ruined. <gasps> oh, yeah. Well, at that point, it's just it's dark. It's, it's dark. Yeah, yeah, it's dark. Yeah, that's well, I guess it just really shows. I guess it just really shows how little happened this week in Jersey because we are <laughs> now trying to figure out the production dry cleaning budget slash Chanel budget that Bravo has in case of a uh, suede bag fatality. Yes. And again, if you have any insight, please let us know. I'm very curious. Yeah, we're going to um, have to dig deep for that answer. Yes. Okay. Few quick things I want to mention. It is so funny when the men are having this confrontation, and I say confrontation loosely. I mean, it was more so a conversation. And they put up on the screen the text interaction between <laughs> Bill and Evan, and you see it's like a one word, bro. I'm sorry. And Bill sending back like the okay emoji. I was like, this is just really the clearest difference between the men and women. And Jackie making it like, oh, Evan and Bill spoke. Bill said it was okay. Like, you know, they seem to be on good terms. And then they flash that text message. Like, that is the epitome of men right there. And then even to the other guys, Evan's like, yeah, yeah, I shot him a message. You know, he he said it's all good. I think he's coming today. And then that is the message. Like, I actually laughed out loud. I was amazing. It was better than I could have anticipated. And by the way, I couldn't have imagined if it wasn't that. You know what I mean? Like imagine Evan sitting in his car, like parked in the driveway before he goes into the house, trying to decide exactly what words he should say in this text. It was never going to happen. No. And, you know, it almost made me feel like they really are that much of friends that it was like, that's all it took. (laughs) A thousand percent. Also, I mean, I think definitely the most impactful moment of this episode was not only Jackie's therapy session, but also when she is actually going out for ice cream with her children. And she really takes you through her mindset in that moment. Um, it, it was just wildly powerful. I mean, I, I, I really went off about this last episode, so I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but my admiration for her has only strengthened. Right, because you see how big of a deal it is to make that commitment and even speak about it with her therapist. So then to, of course, follow through with it, but also bring the cameras along as you follow through with it and record you eating the ice cream and sharing it with your kids and having this moment with your family, which you know is such a big, huge deal and moment for her. But doing it for the greater good of people actually experiencing this from start to finish or like seeing what a real therapeutic situation looks like. I mean, 
yeah, my admiration is through the roof. And I think she's gotten so much incredible feedback and messages from people all over the world who are just so happy to see this on a platform like Housewives. Yeah. And it goes both ways because obviously there's a huge portion of people that feel like finally there is representation for something that they've struggled with. And to watch somebody that maybe they admire, you know, go through this publicly, I think you can derive a lot of strength from. But also like it is just so educational for people, you know, people that are really unfamiliar with disordered eating. I don't think they could have ever in their head tried to kind of conceptualize the thoughts that go through one's mind when presented with ice cream, for example. And like, unless you've really spoken to someone who has dealt with that, you can't imagine it's, it's, it's a painstaking process, you know, and even Crystal yeah. saying that in, in her conversation with Kyle, like the goal is to be able to eat without these thoughts consuming your mind. And it is debilitating. I mean, I've really witnessed it firsthand and it is, I, I just, yeah, I'm going to stop because I, I really can go off on this. It's something I'm very passionate about, but I just, it's so important and I have so much respect for her. And I'm also really um, happy that Bravo is, is shining a spotlight on this. It's so important. Yeah. The last thing I'll say also on this is when they're at Marge Sr.'s birthday party and Jackie just says like, I just watch Jennifer and she can just eat what she wants, try what she wants. And it's so easy for her. Like ja- Jackie's envy that you can feel of that situation I think also spoke volumes because to see it in action around other people and people that we quote know was like really telling and so different of a perspective from just seeing her talk about her own patterns and eating while she's with her therapist. Totally. I mean, even when she's having the conversation with Evan, you know, and she's like, well, you know, she's kind of trying to gently broach the subject of I may gain weight. Like, are you okay with that? You can see she she's genuinely afraid. And that's such a legitimate yeah. fear that people in her position face. And he's like, I would love you like no matter what, you know, but it's one thing for someone to say it, but to really believe it, that's the struggle. And I just, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's really, it's very powerful that we get to witness that. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you guys. I am sorry about our voices. I know we're both really nasal next week. We will be better. It's, it's not, it's not COVID. It's just, I guess, allergies or sickness. I don't know what the fuck it is, but it's, it's not great. <laughs> no, it's definitely not great, but thank you for joining us on this journey. Yes. We love you guys so much. And Julie and I will see you on Monday for our regular episode. Thank you for listening.